Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 100. Yay! episodes what is that three years let's look for date of episode one Mm, my notes only go back to episode four (laughs) i was really winging it at the beginning looks like a june end of june early july 2019 2018 wow three years a little over three years we've been doing this happy anniversary i guess it's not really an anniversary happy milestone episode you know, the funny thing is I have a friend coming to town later this afternoon. My friend Rex is coming and his wife. And I could totally have a guest <laughs> on my 100th episode and throw everyone off. Back when I started, I thought I was going to have guests once in a while. But, yeah, I don't think that's happening. I'm really, I've grown enamored of this format. Uh, it's funny, I get like emails from PR people being like, you you want our blogger as a guest? (laughs) Which constantly cracks me up. I'm convinced there's only like nine of you that listen, despite what the stats say. Because that's the thing about podcast stats, right? It doesn't matter. All I can tell you is downloads, not how many people actually listen to the thing. So anyway, yeah, 100 episodes. Pretty exciting. It is day 550. Of my pandemic quarantine, still going strong. I did just go to Walmart, though, with my mask on in the first thing in the morning, like I do. Got the new Halsey album on gray vinyl, transparent gray vinyl at Walmart. That was pretty exciting. I complained to Walmart. (laughs) Like, every time I go there, which is basically the only place I've gone in the last two years. I mean, that's slight hyperbole in many counts, but... It is the primary place I go, and the only place I go every week. And uh, every time I get home, and they send me this survey, and I always ignore it. But a couple weeks ago, my Walmart trip was rife with indignities. And I was like, I'm filling out that survey. It's probably about three or four weeks ago now. And I was like, number one, you need more baskets. They don't have baskets. Drives me crazy, right? Like, you got to get a cart every time. Just so annoying. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, number two, you're always out of this, and it's annoying. Number, I don't remember what number three was. There's like five things. But one of them was like, why do you even have this vinyl section? It's a total mess. It's never updated. There's nothing new there. It's just been the same 21 Pilots album since the day you got the vinyl section. You should just get rid of it. And like, you know, at other Walmarts, the vinyl section is really good, but not at this Walmart. So, I mean, what the heck, man? And literally the next week, the the vinyl section got better. None of my other complaints were addressed, the ones that actually mattered. But now the vinyl section's good. And today, it's Friday. I went in and they had the new Casey Musgraves, which came out, come out, came out, comes out, came out, came out today. Uh, so that was impressive. I didn't buy it because I ordered a special copy from her website. But uh, and they had the new Halsey with a different cover. Uh, we'll tell you, you know, as you oh, fuck it, I'll talk about it right now. The new Halsey was produced by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, and it has a topless photo on the cover, but not a Walmart. It's like a woman holding a baby. But at Walmart, the baby's hand covers the breast. <laughs> and I was like, I spent a lot of time trying to decide. I'm like, well, it's a special Walmart edition, and these do go for a lot of money on the internet. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to buy this album other than right now. I'm certainly not going to order it. But it's a censored cover, and I don't believe in censored covers. I'm like, but I don't really care about the cover one way or the other. So I was like, ah, screw it. I'll buy it. So I bought it in the end after significant sort of internal moral debate going back to like the you know early 90s smash the pmrc tipper gore (laughs) standing in walmart having a moment (laughs) but i got over it i moved on i'm home i'm back here i am here i am so yeah what's going on in chatham county well the big news over the last two weeks is not long after i talked to you guys two weeks ago that was friday in the afternoon that evening we had dinner and we took our daily walk our neighborhood is one street it's about a half mile long ends in a cul-de-sac 
it's downhill on the way there and a very steep uphill on the way home. So, you know, especially when you're pushing the stroller, it is not what I would call a workout, but it is enough to get your heart beating on a day that you've been sitting in front of the computer all the time. It's a bare minimum of getting your 10 minutes of heart pumping that they say is like the least you should do. You know what I mean? It wouldn't close your rings on your watch. I don't really know much about that. I don't have an Apple watch, but uh, it's enough for maintenance. Uh, anyway, uh, I tripped over Jane's stroller. And I did it in this very specific way. I stepped on the wheel, causing the stroller to go forward very quickly up the hill, except my foot had all its weight on it. So my foot was pushing the stroller further and further up the hill. And I think my foot was caught in it in some way. We can't quite figure it out, but there was an umbrella under the stroller and maybe I caught in the loop or something. But anyway, I stretched my legs an extraordinary amount and I tore at least one, probably all three adductor muscles, groin pole. And it was horrible. I cannot convey to you how horrible it was. I immediately fell over in pain. I just writhed in the middle of the road. <laughs> Eventually crawled to the side of the road because I was convinced some neighbor was going to come along. Uh, it's not a busy street. There's only 20 houses, but we usually see people. And I just lay there writhing. And worse, I knocked the stroller over with Jane and she fell backwards. Was not hurt, thankfully. But I'm writhing in the ground. I didn't know that yet. I think I've wounded my child and wounded myself. I managed to get home, and for a brief moment, it felt kind of okay. Like, I just had a big stretch. It was loose in a way that, you know, after a good stretch. Uh, and it was my night to watch Jane, so I, volunt- I agreed to do it anyway. Emma helped me upstairs. But within 15 minutes of starting my Jane shift, it got so painful. Like There was no position I could sit in where it didn't get painful. It felt like a very, very bad Charlie horse in every direction, all around, no matter what position I was in, sitting, standing. And it lasted for like four hours, and it was horrible. I got through the Jane shift. I came downstairs. We started icing. We we had, you know, Janet, my mother-in-law, had like one little ace bandage. And she had some gel that helped. It wasn't Arnica gel. I got that later. But it was like this NSAID pain gel. And I did that. I took a ton of Advil. I emailed my doctor. But, of course, it's Friday evening, so I'm not going to hear from the dude for like three days and uh the charlie horse started to subside after like hours and i just kept it iced all night and then i went to bed it was horrible and then i woke up in the morning it was uh, at least not charlie horsing anymore i still couldn't walk i could barely move uh and then i had developed a bruise that was at the time i thought huge it was about seven inches square <laughs> and blood blood red since then the bruise has grown it <laughs> that was just in my inner thigh and groin area now it's expanded and grown all the way down past my knee, all the way to the back of my thigh, up my thigh. I mean, it's probably like over a square foot now. It's fading now. It's been two weeks. Uh, and I can walk now. It's been slow healing. It's still very painful. I can't do a lot of things. It's hard to lift my leg. It's hard to close my legs. It's, I can't pivot on the leg, but I can walk around now. Uh, I was on a cane until about three days ago. I'm still doing compression. Uh, I haven't put it on yet this morning. It's hard because I use arnica gel and compression. You can't do both at the same time. Man, it fucking sucked. It still sucks. I didn't get any exercise for two weeks. I could barely move. I sat on the couch for four days straight. Uh, Still mostly, I still really can't sit at my desk chair. I'm doing this podcast at my desk, but I've set up a separate sitting station with a footrest, <laughs> I do have my foot elevated now as I'm doing this podcast, but it's bad. It's bad still. It will be uh, several months, I anticipate, before it is fully recovered. I am deeply thankful it happened during uh, the pandemic. <laughs> I think I'll have this ticket to go see one of my best friends in New York at the end of the month. I bought it back when things were looking good. And, you know, she lives in Europe, so I haven't seen her in years. And, uh, well, a year and a half. I saw her right before the pandemic. Um, and, you know, if the pandemic weren't still going on and I had to cancel because of my fucking leg, my first trip post-Delta, I would have been so pissed. But, you know, I was like, she was like, I bet you're not coming. And I'm like, well, even without the pandemic, I wouldn't be coming because of my leg. But, yeah, doubly for the two of them. So that sucks. But at least, you know, the leg didn't do it itself. <laughs> It has been so painful. It's just horrific to look at. I've sent, obviously, I've been in touch with my doctor, uh, which hasn't really yielded much. My doctor is kind of a character. It's part of the reason I love him. He'll do what you want. 
Uh, that's why I got my Wagovi prescription, semiglutide. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, uh, you know, he's just like, whatever. If it's still bad in two weeks, let me know. <laughs> I'm like, all right, dude, thanks. Thanks for your help. And then, like, a few days later when the bruise had appeared, and it was, like, really, you know, over a foot-long bruise, I sent him the picture of the bruise along with, like, a, a question about my prescription for, you know, other topics. He didn't even mention the picture. He didn't even mention the bruise. He was just answered the other question very matter-of-factly. He went on, and I'm like, well, I guess that's what I asked for. Having this stoic doctor that'll just prescribe whatever you want. So, yeah, I am in a lot of pain. It's been really bummer. And, of course, it's been very hard on my wife. She had to cover for me watching Jane. Luckily, I had just covered for her through a, uh, what do you call this, migraine? Not luckily, but, like, for me. <laughs> I had just covered for her a couple nights but for watching Jane because she had a migraine. And so, you know, she covered for me, so we're sort of even. I've been catching up since then. Because she's been working a lot. she got a bunch of work. But, yeah, it's been pretty intense in this household, man. <laughs> you know, we can handle things, but as soon as one of us is down for the count, it gets to be a lot. Uh, you know, Janet obviously is a big help. But, whew, yeah, that was rough. That was rough. Uh, anyway, the good news is I have gone a month without nicotine now. Uh, it's 29 days today. I'm confident I'll get through today and tomorrow. been four weeks yesterday. So that's pretty cool. I am taking or consuming way too many icebreakers mints, <laughs> which have xylitol, which make you fart a lot. So, you know, I'm really a joy to be around right now. I got to stop taking the mints. I got a really bad oral fixation problem. I always need to be chewing or drinking something. It's been my problem my whole life. I should go to, you know, find, go back to the mad monk or mad Russian or whatever his name was in Boston, that hypnotist everybody went to to quit smoking. Um, Yeah. Anyway, uh, I made it a month. That's cool. That's the longest I've gone without nicotine in uh, 25 years, I guess, since I was 24, when I first started smoking. God, that's so depressing. I mean, to re remind everyone, I haven't had, you know, I haven't been a smoker in well over a decade now. I just still took nicotine. Delicious, delicious nicotine. So, yeah, you know, health. Slow going. I had just gotten my treadmill, as you may recall. I told you guys last week. It came. You know, the delivery man brought it right, right, right after the podcast, and it was in the garage. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to set this up this weekend." That did not happen. It's still just sitting in its box in the garage. I, you know, I, so I have to get it on the hand truck and get it down the like steep outdoors ramp to go around to the the back of the house to the basement to get it into my office. And I don't think my leg can quite do that yet. So, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do about that. <laughs> uh, the one good thing, a couple good things. I did get some stuff done in the studio before this, though, My and, and, and after. The music, the record crates came. I ordered these record crates from this guy on Etsy. He didn't ship them for months. I thought I was convinced I was ripped off. He wasn't answering my emails. Finally, I like sent it to arbitration at Etsy. And, and, like, he immediately snapped, too, because he didn't want to lose his Etsy rating, and he shipped them, and they came. And not only that, they're exactly the right size, matching the ones I have. The people that make my record crates stopped making them, and I'm deep into this system, and it's a real pain in the ass. Uh, but I found somebody that makes more, so that is good. Uh, and it fit perfectly, where I had, like, laid them out for the three record crates, and I reorganized all the records, so there's a little extra room in each record crate, and they look really great. Very excited about that part of the studio project is done. The other studio project thing I got done is I have an Electric Objects EO1. It's like a digital art piece. It's been hanging on my wall for years, but it always bothered me because the cord just went down the wall. And I finally like sucked it up and ordered one of those cable running kits off of Amazon and drilled the holes in the wall and ran the cable behind the wall down to the base and plugged it in. And it looks so much better. I don't know why I didn't do this ages ago. So that got done. Uh, I still have the old rug sitting on the floor. I was, when I was talking to you guys last time, I was like, I'm going to move that rug this weekend and then I'll be done. But the rug is just still sitting there. There's no, it'll be, it'll be weeks before I'm willing enough to haul that rug upstairs at this point. Heavy lifting is not good for me right now. It really sucks, man. This sucks. I do not like being wounded, but at least I'm getting better. At least I can walk around. I did my first full walk of the neighborhood yesterday. I think I already said that. Uh, and I did my second trip to a grocery store just that, you know, right before this, I tried once about a week ago to go to the grocery store. It did not work. What I learned is that like I can hobble around the house, but when I was out, I would walk faster and take bigger steps and that would just stretch my inner, you know, my 
my inner thigh muscles, the adductor muscles, and it was just too painful, and so I couldn't do it. But this time it was pretty good. I didn't really have a problem, except for once I turned. Can't turn on that foot, you know, when you just sort of stand on one foot and pivot at your hip. Can't do that. Oh, that hurts so much. Someday, in like probably a month, this should be knitted up well enough that I can start going to PT and get the muscles started stretching again. And I did do, you're supposed to like massage as it's healing to keep the scar tissue from lumping and keeping it more aligned with your muscles. So I did do that. I was very good about, you know, just massaging the thing when I could, usually with an ice pack on. I'm still using an ice pack every night and compression. It's bad. Anyway, Jane is well. Uh, she's been mostly an angel of late. Uh, a few fits here and there. Uh, when you break her routine, uh, she's getting more talkative. She uh, She's kind of stuck in some ruts, though. She's very obsessed with the weather. She's very obsessed with the chance of precipitation in the day's highs and lows. She's obsessed with what day it is. I mean, I think she, you know, like she's trying to like understand her environment, right? So like what her shirts say, if we're wearing t-shirts that say something, what time it is. She, I got her a watch. She fucking loves it. She can tell time. Not a digital watch, mind you. Analog. <laughs> she's three. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But, you know, it's like... It's weird. I'm starting. I sometimes I feel anxiety that she just doesn't see other people. She doesn't go anywhere. Uh, delivery guy came. What was he? I don't know, he was delivering something that Emma needed. And oh, it was dinner. That's right. And Emma and her were out in the in the yard. And uh, the delivery guy came. And uh, you know, delivery people love the pandemic. I'm convinced because they don't have to talk to you anymore. They just leave the food at the door and text you. And so like that's what this guy did. And they don't want contact. You don't want contact. Everybody's like happier, right? But Jane just never sees people, so she, like, runs up to his car. She's like, hi. Every human being she sees, every delivery person, every landscape person, every neighbor, she just runs up to him. She's like, hi, because she's so starved for alternative human contact beyond us. It's rough. Um, like, we've had friends over uh, more than a couple. Our friend Alice came over, like, three or four weeks ago, but she didn't bring her kids because she was, you know, she lives in New York and she was down here for work. And and then, like, you know, Rex is coming tonight. Rex and Michelle are coming, but, like, they don't have a kid. And so, like, she hasn't really seen kids very much. There's some kids. There's one kid in the neighborhood that's, like, a year older in there. And the way she keeps saying we're going to have a play date, but they don't do it. Um, but, I mean, she's good, mostly. She loves reading. She doesn't like reading books. She does not associate reading with books, which is really weird. She reads, like, nutrition labels. She reads your T-shirt. She reads boxes. She reads subtitles when I'm watching TV. She, otherwise, she doesn't care about TV at all. She won't watch Sesame Street or anything, but she'll read my subtitles. Uh, and then she's drawing a lot, and she's getting really good at it, which is really nice. I like that. Uh, so, you know, long and short, we worry about what the pandemic's doing to her, but she just definitely does not worry about it. <laughs> she's like, she's having a great time, uh, which is nice. Um, so then gardening, like, uh, my injury obviously impacted my ability to garden. I didn't go out there at all the first weekend. That really sucked. Last weekend, we kind of worked out a system. I have, like, you know, those two gardening benches, and I, I stood at the gardening bench on my cane, and Emma brought me the things I needed to do. Like, I had, we had gotten a bunch of dirt, new potting soil, because it's fall time, and everything had to be planted. You're supposed to put all your fall crops out right after Labor Day around here. I think it's, a, you know, it's a coincidence of where we live, but that's the deal. So I needed to put the spinach out and then broccoli and the cauliflower and the radishes and the beets. And I was like, I couldn't even walk. And like, so Emma had to do all this dirt hauling and moving stuff. And she was doing some other yard work and I would call her over every 10 minutes and bring a new bag of dirt over to me so I could pot some more plants. And then she had to carry all the plants into the like, into the hoop house because I couldn't lift the bags. And then she had to turn the compost for me. <laughs> it was just really sad. So I'm going to try and do it without her this weekend, hopefully. But uh, I did get a, we did get a lot done. Um, it's been good and rainy this week. Then it hasn't been in the 90s. So I think they've been doing some good growing. I've, I haven't been out there a lot because I haven't needed to be because it's been raining. So I haven't needed to water. So tomorrow I'll go out there and peek at all the stuff we planted. Hopefully we're seeing some seedlings. That'll be, that'll be exciting. Uh, what else? Projects, writing. Uh, I've been talking to Lisa. She's making good progress on the book. We've been, you know, dealing with some sort of larger existential questions about the Good Morning, Hello, How Are You book. Like, why people enjoyed it during the pandemic, how it will be different not during the pandemic, like, which is more important, capturing what people felt during the pandemic or making a book that's sort of readable now, even though that might mean cutting large 
batches of stuff that was actually really interesting to people in the pandemic. And, you know, it's, it's actually kind of a challenge. Um, and it's one of the reasons I really chose her to help me finish this project, because I don't think I could have answered all those questions on my own. This is really calls for an editor and it calls for an editor with bravery and, and someone that knows me. And she's really the only person that would, would have been right for the job. And I'm so de- deeply thankful she, she agreed to do it. Um, so yeah, I don't, you know, she has, she has sent me parts of it, but not very much yet. She's still working on it and she's got like a lot of her own stuff going on. So <laughs> to say the least so it'll be a little bit but it is good to see that it's making progress and uh yeah i'm excited about that anything else going on on the project front not really not really i did take the step of installing logic on this computer and tell myself i'd start making music again but then i listen to new music and i'm like i can't make anything that good and i get really down but i don't know i don't know man I don't know. I'm not in a rut. I don't feel like I'm in a rut right now. I don't know. It's hard to like, I can't really evaluate my emotional artistic output and creativity and mood because I've just been in recovery mode with this injury. So, you know, it's whatever. Worry about it in two weeks. (laughs) Like I always say, right? Uh, Yeah. Anyway, let's see. I have been, however, watching a ton of movies because I was stuck in front of the couch for so long and I've been downloading a ton of movies and I've been just going movie crazy basically so there's a ton of new stuff in plex uh (laughs) let's see i'll just read them off for you safe the todd haynes film starring julianne moore uh, inauguration of the pleasure dome the kenneth anger film easy rider the russ meyer film vixen star 80 private school the howling foxy brown footlight parade wd griffith film i spit on your grave the original version alice in wonderland 1976 version and sign of the cross the cecil b demille film from 1932 yeah i've been downloading films and getting a lot of shit in netflix um so yeah those are all up there if you're interested i haven't watched any of them oh no that's not true i've watched a couple of them yet so far but uh, which is funny since I watched like 20 films since I last talked to you. I think I've only watched one of those. I watched Inauguration of the Pleasure Dome. Uh, and I'm watching another one, but I haven't finished it yet. So we'll talk about that in two weeks. Uh, the day after I was injured, I turned off my Discog store. Because I just couldn't deal with the thought of like walking over to the CDs and grabbing a CD and walking over to my desk and ripping it and then walking over to the shipping area and shipping it and then walking over to the mailbox and putting it in the mailbox. It just all seemed like too much. So I just turned it off. Uh, But then the day I was dealing with the record crates, which is like a week later when I was a little bit more functional, I realized I had two copies of Waxahachie St. Cloud and I decided I should sell one of them. Whenever I find duplicates now, I'm like, sell it. You don't need two copies of the same record. So I put it up on Discogs, forgetting that I had turned off my store a week earlier, and it immediately sold. So I had to ship out a piece of vinyl, <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, I turned off the store for a reason. Uh, because you don't actually turn off your Discogs store. You just expire your items for being for sale, and then you can relist them later. So, yeah, I messed up, and I had to sell something. But my wife helped me, and we got it shipped. She took it. Well, actually, I ended up taking it to the post office slash convenience store. Yay me, man. I pulled that off. Uh, got some vinyl in the mail. Um, let's see. I got the new Big Red Machine album. How long do you think it's going to last? Which I have was enjoying very much to, uh, the week before last. It's a great record. Love the Taylor Swift song. Uh, I love the Droney song. I don't know what it's called. The Droney song. It's kind of like the end of side B. That's a great song. Uh, I didn't really like the first Big Red Machine record, but I really like this one. It's really good. Uh, Directions, Bundy K. Brown's band from the 90s. Uh, I always had his the album Directions in Music by Directions. I never really realized the band was called Directions. I thought the band and the album was called Directions in Music. Anyway, they always had a 12-inch single called Echoes, and I could never find it, and it was reissued. So I finally got the reissue of it on Temporary Residence, Directions, Echoes, and it was awesome. It made me very happy to complete my directions collection even though they only had two releases so that's done uh i got why did i do this oh yeah i wanted to buy the first thriving gristle record i had like three or four of them on vinyl and as you know i bought xtg but i never had the first record and there's tons of cheap copies on discogs because it's been reissued so many times now on vinyl through the years so i got that and the seller had a copy of forever alien by spectrum up there so i got that too i had the cd but i had sold it 
So I got those two albums. Uh, Forever Aliens, a really good record, man. Spectrum is, uh, you know, Pete Kember from Son- uh, Spaceman 3, Sonic, a.k.a. Sonic Boom. Uh, Spectrum was his band. I love the first Sonic Boom Spectrum record, and I love the second one with Undo the Taboo on it. Highs, lows, and heavenly blows. Uh, but then he got a little bit too droney even for me uh, for a while there, but I hadn't heard Forever Alien, and I really like it. It was really, really good. I think I had heard it because I owned it, obviously, but it had been a long time and I forgot how good it was. So got that in vinyl. I got the Third Eye Foundation, Ghost Third Eye Foundation, which is this band I was really obsessed with in the mid 90s. It's sort of like shoegaze meets glitch electronica. They were really, really great. Uh, the guy that was selling the TG and Spectrum albums had that album for sale as well. So I picked that up uh, and that's it for vinyl. And then I think I already mentioned these. Let's see. My notes are a little messy, but. Wait, did I not mention them? Boop, boop, I guess I didn't. Uh, I got four factory records dats at auction in the UK. I got New Order's Technique, Joy Division Substance, uh, Happy Monday's Bummed, and the Rudy Column Vinnie Riley. I owned two of those in the past, New Order Technique and Joy Division Substance on dat. Those are the four factory records, non-classical dat releases. And I owned two of them a long time ago. When I first put my Discog store up for sale when we moved here and I was broke and my wife was sick and paying for everything for me because I had spent all my money, my liquid money on the move. Um, and my, my wife doesn't really make distinctions between liquid and non-liquid money. If your money is non-liquid, it's not money, which is fair enough. So I was like, all right, I'm going to start selling stuff. And, you know, most of it was with CDs, but I had these like dats and they were worth like a lot of money. And somebody bought each immediately. The minute I put first put my Discog store up for sale, somebody, in fact, a creative director at Apple, <laughs> I didn't know him, but we had mutual friends, uh, bought New Order Technique and Joy Division Substance dats for like $200 each, like just immediately. And I really needed the cash. And I was really sad to see them go. And of all the stuff I've sold on Discogs, those two are perhaps the only two I can I have really truly regretted. There might be one or two others, but I was just like I needed the money, and you know I was new to Discogs, and I was very excited. And like I made like seven hundred dollars in a day when I turned on my Discogs store, and I really needed it. So I've always regretted it. So all four of these came up for at auction, and I was like, screw it, I've got money now, and I didn't bid that high. I think it was five hundred bucks. Uh, for all four, that's a lot of money. Obviously, this is insane. I bought four small pieces of plastic on an obsolete audio format for $500 from an auction in England. But, uh, you know, they're worth that much. And now I have them again and I can always sell them again. They, the value has not declined. Factory records people are still crazy. So I did that. That was an indulgence. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I have admitted it now. All right, turning to new music. Listen to the Halsey record. If I can't have love, I want power. The one I just bought this morning, but I listened to it on Spotify the week it came out. Uh, it's awesome. Produced by Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross. I had seen Halsey on Saturday Night Live like a year ago or something. I don't really know much about her, but I really like the record. It's uh, kind of goth industrial noise. Or not noise. Goth. Let me rephrase that. It's kind of like gothy pop, and I really enjoy it. Uh, Big Red Machine, how long do you think it's going to last? We talked about that. Great record. Uh, Folikazoid and Jay Spaceman. I don't know much about Folikazoid. It seems to be a German artist. Jay Spaceman, of course. Jason Pierce from Spaceman 3 and Spiritualized. Uh, my favorite artists. And uh, they put out a sort of a live jam thing called the London Sessions together. It's on Sacred Bones and it's awesome. I've seen Jason play with, he's, you know, he's, he's into drone, he's into noise, he's into avant jazz, especially into the free jazz stuff, which is not really my thing. People give me shit for it. Not really my thing, but like, you know, he's done stuff with Evan Parker and all these other like sort of jazz people. And I have a lot of these sort of solo Jace Basement records and I don't like some of them, but this one I really loved. It was like more droney, noisy than joint than free jazz. Hard to explain, but, uh, it's a good record. It's on top Spotify if you want to check it out. If you're into experimental, drone, free jazz, noise, avant-garde, uh, it's good stuff. So then I listened to Anais Mitchell uh, on the Big Red Machine album. There's four songs sung by women. One is the Taylor Swift song, of course, and then there's three others. Uh, you really get the strong sense that they wrote four songs, hoping Taylor would sing one. She picked one. You know, maybe they dreamed she'd sing all four, but uh, then they had to, they had these other three great songs. They need somebody else to sing them. They presumably are friends with this woman. I don't know much about her, but she's really good. I listened to her album XOA, uh, and I liked it a lot. 
singer songwriter, uh, great voice, and I know nothing about her, so I can't really tell you much more than that. I listened to Kanye's Donda. I liked almost every song on it individually, but my God, that record was so long. So long. I've only given it one listen. I have to listen to hip-hop albums with attention. I can't be writing. I can't be working. I have to just sit there and listen to them because they're so lyrically intense. Uh, I don't know why I can listen to other music that's lyrically intense, that's musical, and I can tune out the lyrics, and I can just work to it, and then later on listen to it again and listen to the lyrics, but I can't do that with hip-hop. So I literally sat there for I mean fucking two hours or whatever and listened to that album with full attention. And then I was like, okay, I liked a lot of those songs. I should need to go back and do this again and pick out the ones I liked. But I was like, I don't have two free hours to do this again, which is obviously not true, given the number of movies I've watched. <laughs> but uh, I haven't given a second listen. But I liked it. I liked, I liked individual songs a lot. I do not think it was a coherent album. I definitely think it should have either been cut or turned into a double album. I don't know why that guy didn't just make two records. Could have made so much more money. I guess not really in this day and age. A, the guy is rich, is, is rich enough. B, your streaming money is going to be the same either way. C, the amount of money you would make even from a big run of vinyl, which is two, three hundred pieces, two, two three hundred thousand pieces, isn't going to is a drop in the bucket for that guy. So, also, he's really bad about putting his albums on vinyl in general. So, yeah, I guess I don't blame him. It's not the use your illusion era anymore. Anyway, pretty good. Pretty good. We'll give it some more listens. Uh, I listen to this band called Rookin, R O K I N. I think they're from Maine or something like that. My friend Tony was involved in this album, like either engineering or the studio or something. And so he's the one that told me about it. My ex-partner at the Archemy record company, uh, it's called infinite Georgia. It was a great record. Yeah. Kind of like kinda a little bit country rock, a little bit Wilco. We maybe, uh, but more atmospheric, but uh, I really liked it. Rookin R O K I N. Uh, and then I was talking to this guy, Tony, who lives here in Chapel Hill, friend of a friend introduced us when he moved down here, when his wife moved down here. And I put something on one of my playlists on Good Morning, Hello, How Are You that he really liked. And he told me some other bands that he really liked in the same vein. And they were Exerwelt, Nikone, and Christian Loeffler. So I listened to all three. Uh, one album from each. Uh, I listened to Egan Zender by Exerwelt. Uh, sort of minimalist, droney, glitchy electronica. Really, really minimalist and droney. So I liked it a lot. I will listen to more by Exerwelt. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. They seem very singles-based, and I'm more of an albums guy, so I haven't listened to a lot yet. Uh, Nikone's album was called Luxation. Uh, had a few guest vocalists on it, so some of the vocal pieces on that album I really, really liked um, would sort of... Hmm, trying to think of an analog to it, but, you know, Mellow Electronica with some subdued vocals in it. Maybe like early, like, uh, they're male vocals by and large, so maybe like certain, you know, uh, like Karma Coma era Massive Attack-ish. Um, and then Christian Loeffler, Elise, that was my favorite one, a white S Elise. Uh, same thing, you know, Mellow Electronica, a little bit more vocals. Really like that one as well. So thank you, Tony, for those three. I will be listening to more of each of them. Uh, Flying Colors. album is called Fantasy Country. I learned about it from KEXP. It's awesome. Full-on quality drone shoegaze right up my alley. Never heard of them. Two guys, two women in the band, and uh, they're really good. Oh, man, they have such great guitar pedals. <laughs> I really enjoyed watching their KEXP session. Yeah, they're awesome. Flying colors. <laughs> Two thumbs up. Uh, fan club wallet, all one word, lowercase. Hurt is boring. EP. Learned about this from my friend Jen out in LA. Thank you, Jen. Uh, Lady Pop reminds me of uh, what's her name? Uh, the one that played Among Us with AOSC. MX Tunes. Reminds me of MX Tune. Uh, sophisticated, clever, very pretty, delicate Lady Pop. Very into it. Uh, Jen also hit me to the fact that Amoeba Music, Amoeba Records out in the West Coast, LA and San Francisco, has a record club. And uh, apparently they put out a record every month or so, and it's all new artists and their compilations, and they have beautiful design covers. Sounds pretty awesome. So she sent me the link to one of them, but they're all on Spotify, it turned out, so I listened to two of them. Uh, volume 71, Garden of Echoes, and Volume 70, Out of Pocket. Uh it's kind of an amazing music club. I mean, it's a little overwhelming. Like, you know, if you're sitting here listening to my podcast each week and you're like, my God, how do you listen to so much new music? I hadn't heard of one artist on both of these albums. So, like, there's just so much music out there. <laughs> 
it's very exhausting. So then I listened to a few things I learned from those albums. The Sunshine State, their song on the Amoeba thing was amazing. Uh, they're on volume 71. No, 70, out of pocket. And I really love their song on there. It was really good. But their album was a little bit more like uh, loopy. Like, it was like a salt album made out of the flute loop from Sure Shot from the Beastie Boys. <laughs> I mean, it's just infinitely repeating loops. It got a little repetitive. I mean, I mean, that's coming from me, right? Like, I don't know. It was good at first. And by the end, I was like, I'm tired of this record, which it was kind of, I did not expect it because their song in volume 70 just be brilliant. The album Love from the West is a couple years old, so maybe they've changed their ways. I will keep an eye out for a new album from this band. I loved that one song, though. So I will keep an eye out. Uh, then Peter Weiss, I learned about him. It was on the Amoeba thing. Uh, it was poppy, rocky, a little bit bland. The song was probably on the on the thing was probably their strongest song. But same thing, though. That album's a, a year or two old, and I'm assuming the song on the Amoeba Record Club's uh, comp was a new song. Uh, and this is not to be confused with Pete Weiss from Boston music scene back in the day. Uh, Nicholas Cagliano, can, no, Cangiano, C-A-N-G-I-A-N-O. Uh, that Thing You Need. It was a little sophisticated, maybe like a modern version of Everything But The Girl or something like that. Uh, I liked it. Uh, you know, like a, like a, like a complex, well-polished Mac DeMarco, perhaps. <laughs> I don't even know who's going to understand all these references. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I liked uh, Nicholas Cangiano. Not a strong recommend, a medium recommend. Uh, then Under Islands, a number less, another one from there. I really like that one. That was that would definitely fit into my W Hotels playlists. Uh, you know, kind of like cool, sophisticated, a little bit electronic, a little bit smooth. But I liked it a lot. Then I listened to Roy Orbison's The MGM Years, nineteen sixty five, nineteen seventy three, which is like I think a six or seven CD set. It took like an entire day, uh, and but it was awesome. And oh my god, I love Roy Orbison. He's the best. That made me very very happy. Uh, I did that because it was a brisky point, which we'll talk about in a bit. And then just this morning, I listened to three albums that came out today because I'm hardcore and I've been very excited. Uh, the new low came out today. It's called Hey What? All caps. It was phenomenal. I had heard three songs from it already, but my God, that album was insane. That was amazing. The vinyl hasn't come yet. It shipped yesterday. I'm a little annoyed, but uh, wow. Yeah. Beautiful record. Just Damn, I, I like Double Negative fine. I thought it was great and I understood that it's boundary pushing, but this one has even more boundary pushing and somehow the songs, maybe it's just me, are resonating even more. So I've been listening to Low for 25 years. <laughs> I've seen every tour except for the Double Negative tour, which I had to miss for stupid reasons that I'm still bitter about. And had I known there was a pandemic, I would have skipped that wedding. <laughs> I would not have skipped that wedding. It's one of my best friends. But, uh, yeah, new low man. It's awesome. I'm I'm excited. Uh, and I just finished the well. I didn't I, about an hour ago. I finished the new Casey Musgraves Star Crossed. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this record, but I'm not sure yet how to talk about it. To recap, it is a breakup record. Uh, last year, her country to pop crossover album Golden Hour won the the Grammy for best album. I've been really into Casey Musgraves since her country years. I'm not especially a giant country fan. I had made an exception for her and a couple other people. I do like some country. Uh, so, you know, when she's crossed over to pop, I'm like, that's cool. But I already, I, I loved same trailer, different park. I think it's like a perfect record. Um, and, you know, so she had a breakup and she made an album about it. And like uh, when I was younger, I really loved breakup albums, you know. Uh, but now I'm older and I, I, I don't know if it's cause I don't break up with people anymore. I don't think that's the case. I still love breakup movies. I still love breakup books. Um, you know, the last breakup album I think I really like dove into was Taylor Swift's red. Uh, and then, you know, it's like very even further away from country. So she's kind of doing a Sturgill Simpson thing, except for he's boomerang back the other way with the last three records. Uh, and you know, some, that's, sometimes that's fine. Like for example, the low record is nothing like low when they started right there, this like minimalist slowcore band. And now they're like a totally different thing. And I still love them, but it's cause she's kind of like, maybe it's cause she's kind of like migrating into like a adult contemporary sort of smooth sound. That's like a little bit milk toast compared to her more quirky original sound. 
but then maybe she wasn't even thinking about any of that. But then the last song is this cover of some like Spanish standard that I don't know that everybody apparently knows down South. And it was like avant-garde and experimental and crazy. So that was really awesome. Uh, and she also seems very self-aware and like, you know, the breakup, you know, kind of like she made a joke in this interview. She's like, well, I'm a country star. I have to have a divorce album. And I'm like, yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, but you know, the divorce just sounds like it just kind of happened. Like it's both their faults. She's very good about saying in the album, it's not his fault, it's not her fault. She, you know, she tells, says these bad things like this man done did, but she also says these bad things she did. And just sounds like these two weren't a great match. She says it's very autobiographical. So like, you know, I have these habitual triggers of not assuming that just cause somebody wrote an album that that's what they mean in real life. Right. <laughs> But she's basically saying, yeah, it is. So then you're like, okay, well, yeah, I guess, you know, this is like a Taylor Swift's Red or Spiritualized Ladies and Gentlemen. It's like a breakup album where they explicitly say it's reality. Uh, I'm like, well, man, you guys really don't sound like you're a good couple. <laughs> you know? But then in the interview, she's like, well, now she's dating this guy. And it's just great because he's a poet and he doesn't even know who she is. And I'm like, well, that's not good. You just broke up with this guy because he couldn't handle you because you were a strong, successful, rich woman. And now you're going to date some poet who doesn't know who he is. This dude doesn't know what he's getting into. <laughs> you're, you're fucking Casey Musgraves. He should know. <laughs> should, you know? <laughs> like, you need to date another celebrity. <laughs> That's why they date each other. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then I'm like, why am I having these thoughts? I'm a 49 year old man. This is not my problem. (laughs) There's nothing to do with the music. But I have only given it one listen. And I really, really love the last song, the the cover. But, and then there's a really good one in the middle about like sort of not liking adulthood and uh, wishing you're still like, Oh Jesus. Sorry. And wishing you're still a kid. That only peripherally has to do with the breakup. It's the only one song on there that is really barely related to the breakup. And it's a great pop song and it's a great universal message. And that song I love a lot. So, yeah, yeah. We're cautiously optimistic about the new Casey Musgraves. And then just before I started this podcast, I listened to the new Saint Etienne. It's called I've Been Trying to Tell You. It's amazing. It's like big beat W Hotel lobby music. It's like, uh, you know, Only Love Will Break Your Heart, the uh, first single by Saint Etienne, probably still to this day one of their biggest singles. You know how at the end it like, Only Love Will Break Your Heart, it's a Neil, Neil Young cover. But at the end it's got those beats, it's like... It's like they didn't have a career between those beats and this album, and they just took those beats and they took that mood and vibe from the the outro of Only Love Will Break, will break Your Heart, and they made a whole album around it. It's very dubby, it's very like... Massive Attack V Mad Professor album from 1992. Like, I just, I love it. I am so into it. San Etienne's new album, I've been trying to tell you. Yeah. Okay. What else we got next? Uh, Jesus. I got a meeting at 11 o'clock. I'm trying to think if I'm going to finish this before then because I watch so many movies. All right. Well, anyway, TV. Uh, watching Brickmasters, it's uh, the Lego reality show. We really like the first season. We, it's not, it's almost done this new season. I've really enjoyed the cleverness of the challenges this season, but I don't like the contestants. There's nobody I really care about. So we're probably going to not watch anymore after this season. Emma, especially last night we watched an episode. She's like, I'm bored with this show. <laughs> I'm like, all right, all right, we'll stop watching it. Uh, we are still working our way through Mythbusters. We are in season eight now. Uh, we got through Carrie's pregnancy. That was all very exciting. Um, Coincidentally, last week, or two weeks ago, since I last talked to you, was the Mythbusters auction. They had a charity auction. There has been a traveling Mythbusters science exhibit for 10 years. Uh, the exhibit is over. They had all these props and stuff from the show. And they decided to auction it off for the benefit of the Grant Imahara Steam Foundation. Grant Imahara was one of the hosts of the show, and he passed away of a brain aneurysm last year. Suddenly, very sad. And so his friends and family set up a foundation that basically gives money to this robotics class. He, he robot high school robotics club that he mentored. He was uh, originally sort of his, well, he worked at ILM on, he was an R2D2 roboticist. And then he was the champion, early champion at battle bot, bots with his robot dead blow who won in its round, in his weight class before he became a host on Mythbusters. So he, yeah, he, anyway, 
auction passed. We bid. Auction was very expensive. We managed to win something. I'm very excited. Paid for it. Hasn't shipped yet. It's a prop that is in the opening credits. So that's very exciting. Uh, we're very still very into Mythbusters. We just got to the episode last night, which is the flu or the cold episode. Uh, germs, basically how germs pass when you have a cold, when you have, you know, nasal drip. That I thought about a lot at the beginning of the pandemic because it also does a sneezing segment, how far a sneeze goes. And uh, it's just such a good episode. It might be the best episode. And I, in my head, you know, Mythbusters ran for 14 seasons. We're in season, I think, eight, nine, something like that. I thought this was towards the end, but it's not. It's in the middle. And it's so good. And uh, just rewatching, I was like, this is just, this is some hugely compelling television. This is amazing. It's probably the fourth time I've seen that episode. And, uh, you know, if you uh, want to freak out about germs in the pandemic, go watch that Mythbusters episode. <laughs> uh, and then I've been watching What If, the Marvel show. It's fine. I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's not my thing, really, I guess. I don't really care about alternate. I, I mean, I do a little bit. But like Last week was a zombie episode. And I'm like, oh, zombies. It's not my thing. Uh, and then we had this, I think I told you this last time, maybe not. I had this epiphany. I'm like, I watch these stupid Marvel cartoons. I watch these stupid Star Wars cartoons. Why don't I watch the Star Trek cartoon? So Emma and I decided to watch it. It's called Lower Decks, not to be confused with the animated series from the 80s, which of course I've seen every episode of. <laughs> it's called Lower Decks. It's a Star Wars show, Star Trek show. The conceit is it's a bunch of ensigns and, you know, not on the bridge, not important people on a mediocre ship. And oh my God, it's amazing and hilarious. It gives the Orville a run for its money of the best, most hilarious Star Trek episode. Uh, it's just so funny. It's so good. And it's so pure nerd fan service. Like the way they talk about, old, you know, like it, the conceit, it, it happens, as far as I can tell, it's probably about four or five years after Star Trek Generations, right? It's be, it takes place before Picard. Picard's alive and just hanging out on his vineyard in the, uh, the Lower Decks world. Uh, Riker is captaining the Titan. So, you know, it's like right after like the generations, you know, and, uh, they not generations, whatever the last Trek film was nemesis, maybe nemesis. I'm going to go with nemesis. Anyway, like they are, you know, low level ensigns and they revere the, the, the greats, the past greats of Starfleet, like Picard and Kirk. And they know all their missions and stuff because they were these important people, you know, kind of like we'd all talk about like Lincoln or Napoleon or something. I don't know. You know, they just know this stuff. And so like they, their references are just hilarious, deep cuts. There's also this brilliant conceit that the, the ship there on the Cerritos does a lot of second contact. So like they have to revisit planets that the Federation met before. So they like revisit sometimes planets that you saw in the original series. <laughs> and shit's just gone to hell since like Kirk and the gang left or something like that. That's just an example. It's a great show. I strongly recommend it. If you're a trucker, I don't know why I didn't watch it ages ago. So we just finished the first season last night. The second season is happening right now. We're going to try and hold out till it's done before we watch it. Yeah. So then movies, my God. Okay. I got 30 minutes before my, my 11 o'clock meeting. <laughs> so let's see if I can get through all these movies. How many are there? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Wow, it's been 14 days since I talked to you. And I watched 17 films. A couple of them were pretty short. Uh, I watched Danette, the Sparks Brothers film, which makes sense since I just listened to all those Sparks albums. Man, I'm done with the Sparks for a while now. I did not like that movie. To be fair, I thought it was a great artistic creation. I thought that the the art direction, the cinematography, was generally very, very good. The like the quirkiness of it, I really, really liked. I think it could have gone a little bit farther in places with the art direction. It was it was unique and interesting, but could have gone further. Uh, but I just didn't care about for the plot one bit. And I love I love both of them. I love Adam Driver. I love Marion Cotillard. I've been working on a novel for nearly a decade now in which she is, plays a part in it. <laughs> Someday I'll finish that novel. Oh, it's such a good record. It's such a good book. It's such a good book. Anyway, uh, yeah, I just don't need to watch a movie about toxic masculinity. I'm not into that one bit. Don't care. Uh, speaking of which, I watch Reminiscence, the Hugh Jackman sci-fi nostalgia movie directed by... 
Lisa Joy, one of the co-creators of Westworld. Uh, it was cool. I like the noir murder mystery aspect of it. You know, the, the crime mystery thing. But uh, and I like the I like the global warming, climate change kind of aspect of it. And I like the art direction a lot, and I like the acting a lot. I, I love Thandui Newton. Uh, what did I not like about it then? Maybe I just liked that film. I can't remember. There's something I didn't like about it, but but by and large, it was good. Uh, <laughs> it was fine. It was fine. Uh, then I watched Pig. That's probably why I didn't really... I'm thinking slightly negatively of Reminiscence. is because literally I stopped that film, and then I watched Pig, the Nicolas Cage film about a man and his pig, and it was brilliant. I loved Pig. Great film. Strong recommend. Short, brilliant, to the point. It's like John Wick without violence. <laughs> or without much violence. Eh, no, yeah. Almost none. But there's some. Anyway. Amazing film. And then I watched The Quiet Place 1 and 2. Uh, I had never seen these. Everybody else saw them. Uh, sometime right before the pandemic, I saw the trailer in a theater to A Quiet Place 2. And I was like, oh, you mean these aren't really just horror films? They're sort of like sci-fi horror films? I had no idea. I just assumed they were horror films, and I had turned, tuned them out. And then I saw that trailer, and I was like, okay, I want to watch those. And then, you know, in my, in my head, I was like, I'll, I'll worry about it when Quiet Place 2 comes out. I'll watch Quiet Place 1 at home, and I'll watch Quiet Place 2 in the theater. But, of course, the pandemic happened. That film got delayed. I never really showed up in the theater. And finally, I was like, oh, yeah, I meant to watch those. So I watched them both. And they were awesome. Yeah, everybody was right. Turns out people were right about The Quiet Place being a good movie. Uh, Quiet Place 2 got some sort of guff for being like the same movie all over again. But I don't think it was. I just think it was a continuation. Yeah, it's like part one and part two. That's what they're called. Uh, it could have been one long movie. Uh, then I watched First Reformed, uh, which my friend Josh had told me years ago was the best film of the year. I think two years ago. And I meant to watch it forever, and I, I got it from Netflix, and I ripped it, but I never watched it. And I finally got around to watching it. What a fantastic film. My God, that was amazing. Uh, I don't know what to say about it. It's just beautiful and harrowing and clever and well-acted. And Amanda Seyfried's amazing, and and uh, Ethan Hawke is awesome. And it's just a great film. It's a great film all around. First Reformed, fantastic. Then I watched Zola. The stripper comedy, which uh, was very good, but after watching those that run of films, Pig, Quiet Place, First Reformed, it was hard to keep up with those. Uh, I had, uh, as a film, actually, you know what? No, it was a good film. Uh, I guess I just didn't like some of the characters because they were mean, and so that's not the film's fault, right? <laughs> it's like the film's doing its thing. I had missed that whole thing on Twitter. I just didn't know when it happened. Zola, in case you did too, is a film based on a tweet thread. A very funny tweet thread about a woman and this adventure she had gone on. And uh, But I missed the whole thing. I didn't even know about it when it happened. I was somewhere else in my head. And so, you know, I'm just watching this film and its merits as a film. And it was good, actually. It was Yeah, it was cool. And the more I think about it, there's been one scene that's been sticking with me. It was like bunch of strippers doing a prayer before they go out to do their stripping and this big lady stripper and she's like god let our men have good credit scores 840 840 and i've been thinking about that scene like for a week now so yeah it stuck with me so that was a good film then i re-watched ant-man and ant-man and the wasp because I've been watching all these fan theories about how like the multiverse that is going to be coming and Doctor Strange, the multiverse of madness has hinted in WandaVision and now in What If and seems to be going to be playing a part in the Spider-Man film and apparently Shang-Chi, which I haven't watched and I'm really bitter about because it's only in the theaters and fuck Marvel for putting a film in theaters only during the Delta wave. I'm not happy about it, so I have to wait until October to watch that film. This is bullshit. But anyway, all these things are pointing to the fact that the quantum realm sort of plays a part in the multiverse God, this is so nerdy. Even I'm embarrassed I'm into this shit, but I am into it. So I was like, okay, I need to brush up on my Quantum Realm shit, man. So I'm going to rewatch Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. So I did. And of course, you know, it played into one of the episodes of What If. I feel like What If as a show, it just exists to drop hints. So yeah, maybe they're onto something. Uh, I forgot how funny those movies were. And I'm really kind of sad that Edgar Wright did not direct Ant-Man. You know, I just watched Edgar Wright do the Sparks Brothers. And I, I really love Edgar Wright. He's got a new movie coming out soon. I'm very excited about that. It's kind of a bummer. He, you know, he helped write the story. He was going to direct it. Then he fell out over creative differences. And I don't know what those creative differences were. I'd really like to know. But uh, kind of a bummer. It's a bummer. 
but it's a good film. They're good. Yeah, they're they're fine. Uh, and then I, Emma and I watched Cruella last Thursday when we had no Jane. We were like, ooh, movie night. And uh, <laughs> Emma was like, we're going to watch Cruella. And I was like, I don't care about Cruella. What are you talking about? But then I looked at the, uh, <laughs> so funny. We looked at the little description. And it was like London in the 60s. And I'm like, all right, well, I have been reading all these books and, you know, Genesis Peorage and Cozy Fanny 2D autobiographies and the Mary Millington biography. And I've been reading a lot about like 60s and 70s swing in London. So I guess I will watch this movie with Emma. And it was so funny because like pretty near the beginning, they get like you know, uh, the main character uh, and her two friends get this really great flat. That they're squatting and Emma's like, that's so unrealistic. How did they get their large flat? And I'm like, well... Let me tell you, because I've been obsessed with the London squatters movement of the 60s and 70s for the last few weeks. I've been reading scientific academic papers about the squatters movement. And I was like, oh, God, I'm sorry. Just is, are you telling me it's not unrealistic? I'm like, it is not unrealistic that they might have this building. She's like, OK, that's all I need to know. But uh, so it actually turned out to be really fun. The other thing about that movie is that the licensing, the music licensing was amazing. I mean, just phenomenal. Like they, they got everything, man. I remember watching Velvet Goldmine in the theater, which is sort of like a thinly veiled uh, a biopic of David Bowie. And they couldn't get any Bowie songs. They had to do a lot of covers and things like that. And like this, everybody will give Disney and Cruella their songs, but they won't give Velvet Goldmine their songs. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Oh my God, they must have had just such an astronomical budget for music licensing on that. Anyway, speaking of which, then I watched Come Play With Me, the uh, sex comedy starring Mary Millington from the 60s. That was the longest running film in England, except for it wasn't. It was the second longest running film in England, ran for like 10 years. My God, it was so bad and so slow, but there's a lot of boobs, so I could see why people kept going. And, you know, I mean, it, to its credit, some of the comedy stuff, like, it's got, like, a like a sort of political spy caper part to it and stuff that, like, it's a kind of over my head. Seems to be playing into the Profumo scandal a little bit, but, like, you know, I don't really understand the nuances of comedic interpretations of English 60s politics, right? So, I think some of Come Play With Me went over my head a little bit. <laughs> it's ridiculous to say. Uh, and you know, it's just not, it's not an erotic film. There's a lot of boobs, but it's dumb, (laughs) (laughs) but I can kind of like, see, it can become like a Rocky horror kind of thing where like, I could see how, why, if some people latched onto it, it might run in theaters for 10 years. I, I, I get it. I get it. Uh, then I watched Kenneth Anger's inauguration of the pleasure dome. Uh, Kenneth Anger, of course, is one of the all-time great experimental filmmakers. I watched it, and I've been meaning to watch it for ages because Anais Nin stars in it, the author and diarist who I respect greatly, whom I respect greatly. She stars in it. I've seen stills from it, but I had never seen the whole thing, so I watched it. It's very slow, as all films are, made before 19 or 2010 <laughs> because all of us have very, very short attention spans compared to the old days. And they were very enamored with very, very rudimentary film effects like slow fades that now we're like, yeah, we get it. A kid can do that on their phone. (laughs) But uh, all that aside, it's a beautiful film and I really liked it and it was cool. Uh, It seemed deeply inspirational, like the source of inspiration. It reminded me a lot of Peter Greenaway's Prospero's books, which I really need to rewatch. Uh, And then I watched uh, Last and First Men. This was a black and white film with no people in it narrated by Tilda Swinton. It's a sci-fi film. It was directed by Johan Johansson, the Icelandic composer before he died. Uh, it was filmed and first shown in uh, festivals in 2017, but was not released theatrically until 2020. Uh, my friend Ben, my old partner, Ben told me he loved it and it was really great. And I liked it a lot. It was very slow. It was very black and white. It's primarily long, slow, moving images of Yugoslavian war memorials, (laughs) but as a sci-fi film. uh, And interestingly, my friend Doug had made me read this book like four years ago. I think I even mentioned it on the podcast, maybe right around the beginning. So, you know, I read the book, so I was very excited about it. So I watched that. That was awesome. This next one was probably 15 minutes long, so it shouldn't really count, but Hal Hartley has re-released a remastered version of the soundtrack to opera number one, his short film starring Adrian Shelley, the late, great Adrian Shelley, and Parker Posey and James Urbaniak, perhaps best known as Dr. Venture on the Venture Brothers. 
Uh, but I know him from his other Hal Hartley films. Uh, anyway, it's called Opera Number One. I had it. He released it on one of the Blu-rays that he's been doing for. I'm a giant Hal Hartley fan. So uh, the song came up on my release radar last week, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool. I wonder why this is out." I looked it up, and he's like, "I remastered it." I'm like, "Oh, cool." I'm like, "Well, I mean, I haven't watched that film in ages, so I rewatched it. It's just a weird opera about a couple of immortal angels, goddess girls, uh, meddling with the romantic affairs of a man and a woman on." our mortal earth <laughs> but it's funny and it's good because i am a neurotic completist i finished mortal Kombat, which i had started maybe a month ago and i watched the first 10 minutes of it and i was like this is the dumbest movie ever i can't finish it but you know once you have a bad leg and you have to sit on the couch and keep watching films it's in my plex and it's just sitting there taunting me in the like you know to continue section at the top of my home screen on plex and i'm like fine so i finished it, it took three days <laughs> It got better. There were some parts of it I thought were okay. I don't know. You know, I played Mortal Kombat the game in the arcade like twice. I, it's not one of my games, right? So, like, I don't really understand all the, like, mythical nuances of it and shit. So, and there weren't any actors I really cared about. But, uh, you know, it was fine, I guess, if you're into fight movies. That's some cool kung fu, I guess. Uh, and then I watched Zabriskie Point, the Antonini film. I had never seen it. Uh, long ago, I had this friend, this woman named Martha. She was in uh, Bowery Electric. Uh, fantastic drone rock band from the 90s and she was really into this film she used to tell me to go see it and I just never got around to it and um, so I finally did I was like I gotta watch this brisky point somebody mentioned it in passing or something and uh, so I watched it I had downloaded I think I told you guys I downloaded it a week ago and, and I was like yep time to watch it and it's awesome it is also too slow because it's a 60s film and I have the attention span of the 21st century uh and I wish to God Plex would make like a 1.25 and 1.5x like YouTube has. But, uh, you know, I got through it. And the good parts were amazing. And, I mean, the, the love scene is fucking phenomenal. The climax at the end of the film is amazing. Uh, and it's really cool. It's just weird and cool, slightly problematic in places. But it's the 60s soundtrack by Pink Floyd and credit scene song by Roy Orbison. I mean, come on, man. And then the crazy thing about that film, I was reading about it, like the main actor guy and the main actor woman, they like became a couple. He, he wasn't an actor. He was like an actually a 60s radical and he lived in a commune in Boston. They had cast him because they saw him arguing with a woman on the, like a landlord on the street and he threw a flower pot. And then after the film, he went back to his commune. He, he took all the money he made from the film, which was like $60,000 and he donated to the commune. And then later on, he like got arrested for bank robbery because they took part in a bank robbery. And then he died in jail in a weightlifting accident. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what the fuck? It's really crazy. He's a beautiful guy. <laughs> Very James Dean looking, you know, just cool. And then the woman, she married Dennis Hopper for six years and like had three kids with him. So, and then she started some like hippie movement that seems very big in the, on the West coast with the hippies. I don't really know. Not my thing. But uh, yeah, it's crazy. That's I'm very fascinated with that guy. I think he could probably, that's almost a biopic level worthy thing is making a biopic of this guy. Matthew something or other is his name. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, so it was a Brisky Point. Great film to my plex. Uh, then I watched, rewatched Josie and the Pussycats, which stands up. It's a great film. Uh, a little bit dated, but not too bad. Uh, I would love a Josie and the Pussycats sequel. I, I put a long tweet thread about this and I mentioned it in my Good Morning, Hello, How Are You posts. I'm mentioning it everywhere because, you know, I just want to implant the idea in the world that the world needs Josie and the Pussycats sequel. Same actors 20 years later. Be fantastic. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's still a pretty tongue in cheek, knowing groundbreaking film. The the songs are still awesome. Letters to Cleo are doing a tour this fall, by the way. And they they were the music. Kay Hanley from Letters to Cleo is the voice of Josie on the soundtrack. And yeah, still love that film. Josie and the Pussycats great film uh and then yesterday i watched a documentary called skin a history of nudity in the movies it was on hulu i was like all right i'll watch this uh not yesterday two days ago and that explains a lot of the movies i put up in plex because there is some i probably i would say i knew about 80 percent of the films mentioned in this documentary and then i could list a few that belonged in there some directors like it's really weird the documentary didn't mention emmanuel they kept mentioning you know europe in passing and they you know they mentioned tinto brass but like they left out like radley metzger they left out just jake and they left out emmanuel very very big oversights so effectively it was really just the history of 
of nudity in Hollywood. Uh, but you know, they had most of the big stuff and, uh, it was very interesting. And the most interesting part about it was the interviews with the actresses. They had a lot of those and that, that was really good. Too many white male film historians. The film seems to be directed by a dude, but the interviews with the actresses 10, 20, 30 years later, some of these are in their nineties, you know, like those were worth it. Those were definitely worth it. They made, they made the whole thing worth it. Worth it. And then turning to books, uh, I think I mentioned this last time. I'm not sure if I'm 100 sure I was done, but I finished up uh, Cass Sunstein's "The World According to Star Wars." Cass Sunstein, of course, uh, behavior like economist. The, the most recent Daniel Cannon book served in the Obama White House. <sighs> Co-author of Nudge, the uh, highly influential book about decision architecture. Anyway, he wrote a book about Star Wars, and it's fine. I'm just jealous that he could write a book about Star Wars and get it published by a big press because it's not that good of a book. If you're obsessed with Star Wars, give it like a C plus. <laughs> uh, but since then, I've been reading What Hath God Wrought? The Transformation of America, 1815 to 1848 by Daniel Walker Howe, which won the Pulitzer Prize, I think about six months ago. I read some history of America. Mm, that ended like in the early 1800s. Um, it ended before the War of 1812 because I've not read a good comprehensive history of the War of 1812 in a long time. But I was like, well, I want to keep going. And I know like the Civil War I've, I've read enough about. And then after the Civil War, I'm pretty well versed. But like there's this gap. And then I found out about this book. It won the Pulitzer Prize. It really does cover that gap. Like that period of American history you kind of know about, but you don't really know a lot about. The presidents you don't really know about, you know. Uh, I guess we all know Andrew Jackson, but like, it's a great book. I mean, it's long. It's like 800 pages. I'm maybe a third of the way done. I've been reading it for two weeks straight now. But I love it. And every day I read something interesting. The last chapter I just read was about the Second Great Awakening and a bunch of amazing iterant preachers, the founding of Oberlin College. Uh, the chapter I'm reading now is about like uh, canals and railroads, and not railroads, canals, post roads, telegraphs. Uh, and I just find it very fascinating and I'm not bored at all. And, um, I'll probably be reading it for like a month, <laughs> but you know, as I had read a bunch of short books, so it was time to dig into a long one and I'm really enjoying it. So we'll be talking about that book again at length later. And I've been writing about different bits of it in my daily email. Like the other day I wrote about Oberlin the other day before that, I wrote about this amazing preacher, but, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot. It's a good book. Well, that's about it for this 100th episode, unless I change my mind and throw the whole thing out and interview Rex this afternoon. <laughs> that's not going to happen. But uh, thank you for listening. Drop a line. Let me know how you're doing. And we will talk again in a couple weeks. Take care. <laughs>